social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. Make Henry Oil your oil provider this winter. Give them a call today. Call Henry Oil, 401-521-0200, 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, serving most Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass, automatic delivery, budget plans, service contracts, lock and cap pricing. You can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200. Reliable, affordable fuel oil delivery, fuel oil, diesel, gasoline delivery, residential and commercial, it's Henry Oil. Give them a call. Since 1947, you can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today. Make Henry Oil your oil provider. 401-521-0200. 401-521-0200. Remember, online at henryoil.com. Go with the original. Go with the best. It's Henry Oil. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. Today's Thursday. It is March 3rd. Folks, again, just another reminder. You're going to hear me quite a bit, but on uh, starting on Monday, you're going to hear this show. We will be on the road, well, more than on the road, uh, international. We will be at the Ukraine border. So that is the plan. Uh, we're going to be there until till. There's no reason to be there anymore, but it sounds like this is going to go on for quite some time. We're going to have a lot more on the latest over there as the world continues to unite against Putin, who is evil. They are absolutely kin- killing all these innocent people with their war against Ukraine. We're going to have a lot more on that coming up. But, folks, I want to start off. I want to give credit to Channel 10. Um, this story is so disturbing. I don't remember the last time. It's not often that a local story actually makes me angry, but this makes me angry. Now, and it has to do with Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee. He took over from Governor Raimondo. He wasn't elected. He's fulfilling her term. And what he has done, um, let's go back to Governor Raimondo. For quite some time, they were trying to get a new contract with the Providence teachers. And again, to give him credit, Providence Mayor Jorge Eloja, they took the Providence schools away, right, from Providence, gave them the state takeover, and they were trying to get a transformational contract. Huge opposition against the union. Anything you want to do, no, no, no. Anything you want to change with them, you got to pay, blah, blah, blah. So this is, as you may not remember, but it was dragging on quite some time. This is all in the aftermath. 2019, John Hopkins report came out, and it just confirmed Providence schools are some of the worst public schools uh, in the entire country, the, the numbers are just staggering. And what a lot of people you may or may not understand is it, it's really a direct result. I don't care what anyone says, but the charter schools. Uh, excuse me, but because of the, the, the teachers' union. The teachers' unions that have such a stranglehold on the contract, Providence teachers, they work, they work four hours a day. They're in the school six hours a day. But they get an hour for lunch. They get an hour free period. They're actually teaching four hours a day however anything else on top of that you want to start the day earlier you want them to stay after school to talk to students you want to extend the school day you want to have teacher parent conference anything like that you got to pay you got to pay they don't give anything the teachers union has a stranglehold on the schools and on public education and it's a good example how um you know people talk about very recently, you know, Attorney General Peter Nerona, he rejected this big health care merger saying because there'd be lack of competition. The public school experiment has failed by and large. There are some, listen, when you have good students, good family households, uh, you're going to have good students regardless where they go. But by and large, it is a failed system because of the lack of competition. In Rhode Island, if they were serious about improving education, there would be school choice. There'd be other options, but instead they are slaves to the very powerful teachers unions, so there's no change. Now, Governor McKee comes in and says, yeah, no problem. I don't want any opposition from them. I don't want them going to another candidate in the primary for governor. So fine, Uh, you have a new contract, and on top of that, if you sign it, I'll give every Providence teacher a $3,000 bonus. And I I think there's like 2,000 of them. $3,000 bonus. Okay. 
sets a very dangerous precedent because then every other union wants the $3,000 bonus that Governor McKee is giving away. Suddenly, he's uh, throwing around money, right, like a drunken sailor. Now enter, we learned in December, Governor McKee was then going to give state workers, union workers, a $3,000 bonus as an incentive to get the vaccine. Then he backpedaled on it and said, actually, they can get it and they don't even have to get the vaccine. I just like to give people money. I like to make people happy. What it really comes down to is $1,500 of the 3000 would land in July. Early voting for the Democrat primary for governor begins in August. So McKee is throwing money around. I, I think it's bribes. He's bribing people for their votes or at least attempting to get their vote. And, you know, as much as people can say, do you really think you could buy someone's vote for that amount of money? Hey, if I'm one of those people and maybe I'm undecided, maybe I'm going to vote in the primary. And and this this are people who would, you know, they they're going to vote in a Democrat primary. and They say, I don't know. I'm I'm uncommitted. Maybe I'll vote for Governor McKee. Maybe I'll vote for Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea. Maybe I'll vote for wildly socialist, progressive Matt Brown. Suddenly, McKee steps up to the table and says, hey, I'll give you three grand if you vote for me. So then he pivoted and said, well, they are retention bonuses. We're going to give them out to other state workers. They're retention bonuses. Oh, yeah, you know, trouble, tough, tough getting people into the workforce. Folks, total lie, complete fabrication. What? People line up to get a state job. People leave private sector jobs to get a state job. So now we're starting to learn just how many people, and not as he only using COVID money, he's using money out of our budget. And I want you to understand that he's taking your taxpayer money and he's giving it to people. Now, Governor McKee said, well, you know, we need it for the worker attention. I want to credit this new reporter from Channel 12. And she has the list of some of the people that are going to get this, these, this $3,000. Listen to this justices got the retention bonuses making us wonder if the judges are appointed for life why do they need three thousand dollars to be retained this is a list of all 579 non-union state employees who will be getting governor mckee's three thousand dollar retention bonus it includes 274 court employees 31 of whom are judges with lifetime appointments and magistrates guaranteed employment for 10 years i talked to assistant state court administrator craig berkey so if they're lifetime appointment why would they need a retention bonus Well, that's a good question. Perky says it comes down to fairness. Unionized court employees got a similar bonus late last year. As NBC10 reported last week, the program was expanded to non-union <laughs> court employees last month. That list includes Chief Justice Paul Sattel, huh. who makes $250,000 oh annually. Oh, my God. was part of the committee, which decided to extend the bonus to everyone. He also granted himself a bonus. The decision was made to give bonuses to all non-union employees um that would include the chief justice john marion of a government watchdog group common cause has some of his own questions we want our government to be truthful about what they're doing with our taxpayer money and in this case it feels like by by calling it a retention bonus they're trying to sort of deflect some of the criticism that would come if they just called it a bonus court spokesman berkey says the bonus money which amounts to more than eight hundred thousand dollars comes from the judicial branch's own budget and that budget comes from you if you are a rhode island taxpayer i would have to i would have to consult the state court administrator and the chief justice state worker salaries are public record every single judge that i checked it makes more than one hundred thousand dollars per year live in the studio joanna boris nbc 10 news i'm gonna say this that that is completely disgraceful this is governor mckee they are throwing our our money around your money around our money around judge Sattel, who gets two hundred fifty thousand a year he needs a three thousand dollar retention bonus you know what governor mckee will just pivot and come up with a new name folks i've seen all i need to see governor mckee took over from gina raimondo and say what you want about governor raimondo number one she was elected twice he was not elected. He's just fulfilling a term. Um, I've seen all I need to see. I've never seen such an I know a guy type of governor. We haven't had an, we haven't had this type of complete 
uh, abuse of power. I know a guy uh, type of, I'll use the word corruption. We, we, we have not seen this since Ed Dupree. You certainly, uh, you know, some people are saying, oh, McKee could be the next Garrett, Joe Garrett. No, he's, he's Ed Dupree. Uh, you know, there was nothing obviously like this under a Bruce Sundland who was dealing with the credit union crisis. Lincoln Allman, you know, he didn't do a lot, but he certainly didn't do anything like this. Governor Kachiri was trying to get the state workforce in line, was constantly attacked. Chafee, not even Chafee did that, and Raimondo certainly wouldn't have. Governor McKee, because of this huge influx of money that he just feels that he can just throw around, and he comes up with a term, and uh, that he tries to justify it, and then if he gets pushed back, then he just searches and finds another term. So people have to really decide, is this really who you feel is this the best the state can do for the next four years you know i'll give credit to secretary of state nelly gobea she was asked and she said no we don't have a budget to give out bonuses he he is just totally abusing the office of governor all to try to buy votes to get himself elected and i i'm telling you i've seen all i need to see all right a lot more head latest obviously in ukraine you're listening to the john DePietro show a problem with your heating system call re coogan heating today 401-732-6562 24 emergency service gas boiler oil burner coogan heating 401-732-6562 they're helpful trustworthy reliable explore their services look for them on facebook and the website is recooganheating.com residential services as coogie says let us into your home don't fix it alone. Plumbing, heating, and cooling from winter to summer. Trained technicians provide 100% service, one customer at a time. From service calls, maintenance agreements, installation, RE Coogan Heating. Proud to help residential customers, and they pride themselves making customer service and satisfaction a top priority. Call them today. Now it's cold. It's going to remain cold. Call Coogan Heating today, 401 732-6562 it's coogie it's 24-hour emergency service hey not long ago our hot water tank gave out what did i do did i panic did i try to fix it i called coogan heating 401-732-6562 look for them on facebook and then the website is recooganheating.com folks you're listening to the john DePietro show weekdays we start at 11 we go until 2 Sam 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at the website, depetro.com. And remember, when you're there, we have all kinds of uh, unique, original stories. Folks, it's time for our legal segment. Joining me right now, he is one of the uh, top attorneys in our area. He is our legal expert. He is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, if you don't mind, I'd like to start off with, um, obviously, Ukraine is, is a big story. We're going to touch on a number of different things. But just President Zelensky of Ukraine calling for war crimes investigation, obviously against Putin and what's going on with Russia. And that's certainly not, I don't remember the last time you and I have talked about a lot of segments. I don't remember if we've covered the war crimes situation, but what, what type of, um, and again, I don't expect you to be the, the word, this is not a common topic, but what, what falls under the element, when I hear war crime, that, that sounds like, you know, a legal proceeding. Well, war crimes, to the best of my understanding, can be a number of different things. Um, if you use weapons which have been outlawed by international conventions, um, I believe the cluster bar bombs that uh, Putin wants to use may be outlawed, and there's some other bomb that sucks all the air out of yeah. the, the environment and then causes a huge explosion. I think they call it the father of all bombs. Yep. Um, those are illegal by international treaty. Now, is that sufficient? Maybe not. The next level would be, are you uh, engaging in essentially terrorism? Are you, are you um, intentionally hitting soft targets, civilian targets, children, um, schools, hospitals, um, targets with no intrinsic military value, um, targets to simply scare the hell out of people and to weaken their will to engage in uh, the conflict, not military targets. The last 
significant um, leader of a country, to my recollection, who went to The Hague, charges uh, of um, committing war crimes, was Slobodan Milosevic, yep. um, who was uh, a Serbian. He broke off from Yugoslavia, but he was engaged, and I believe you'd want to call it a genocide against the Bosnians, against um, folks in Kosovo, the Croatians. I mean, all of those Slavic peoples at that time seemed to be at war with each other as they worked out where their national boundaries would be. Milosevic uh, was quite a barbarian. He did all these things. He used the weapons which were not recognized. Uh, He targeted ethnic populations. Um, He was indiscriminate in who he targeted. He was ultimately brought before the Hague, um, charged with war crimes. Um, That trial lasted for five years. It ended inconclusively because he died while in prison. So there's not a real good recent um, case regarding war crimes. I guess you could look back to um, the trials that followed World War II, um, with all of the Nazi leaders, many of whom were killed, were hanged, um, were sentenced to life in prison, um, that would have been a similar type situation. The problem is typically the governmental leader who wants, who, who we wish to be charged with a war crime, has to be on the losing side, or has something happened to their government that they're overthrown. Yep. Um, the Hitler regime was overthrown. The Milosevic regime was overthrown. If Putin's not overthrown, um, there's really not going to be a very effective means to extract him from Russia, drag him to The Hague and have him stand trial. That's not a likely scenario no. unless he's overthrown by forces within his own country and his own oh. government or the military. Wow. But he is doing things which... Um, if not quite there, or tantamount to war crimes, it's the weapons, the targeting of civilians, um, the terrorist activities, if you will, those would be sufficient to get him charged if you could ever get him to a place and extract him for prosecution. Hmm. Uh, folks, again, uh, we're speaking with our legal analyst, Attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, obviously that's in the news, but I, I, we want to touch on some of the other legal things. It's something that we had touched on, and I think this is interesting. And it has to do with the mayor of Boston, uh, Michelle Wu, who, since she's been uh, elected mayor, there are anti-vaccine, anti-mask people. And they certainly don't like a lot of the restrictions that she's imposed and various things like that. So apparently they would, on a regular basis in the neighborhood, you had to wait until seven o'clock. And at seven o'clock, it was like a rooster going off. The protesters would be right there and they'd blow a horn and start chanting and so forth right in her neighborhood. And then um, I think she would kind of leave shortly after that. And then they would all just go off to work or go on their merry way. Well, this is interesting now because it's my understanding she is now trying to – is this – would this be a law, Tim Dodd, or or an ordinance? Uh, But they're they're trying to introduce something. Basically, it sounds like to prohibit protesters from going to the homes of elected officials. Yes, it's a proposed ordinance which would um, allow protests, let's say, at a politician's home, but between the hours of 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. And I believe if the um, hours of um, where you could protest were violated, you'd be subject to a $100 fine. So that might not be too big of a... Um, detriment to people who want to go torture some um, elected official and, you know, bang drums in front of the house at two in the morning. Um, there's also carve outs that if it's an organized parade that happens to go past a politician's house um, and it's not between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m., that would not necessarily violate this proposed statute. Um, I guess now that she's mayor and she's um, suffering some protests, this has become front and center. I don't recall her being out front saying boo uh, when Sarah Sanders was getting harassed at restaurants and Mitch McConnell was getting and um, Joe Manchin getting harassed on his houseboat in D.C. Not a word was spoken, but I guess now that she's catching some flack, it's time for an ordinance. 
I, I think it's a good thing. I think that no matter which side of the political world you sit on, um, these you know organized protests to intimidate and to harass an elected official um, at their home with their families present, their spouses present, it, it's. Um, I think that's where free speech runs up against individual mm. rights. And I think having some constraints on the, the method and the hours and the means by which you protest in front of a politician's house have to be curtailed. Uh, things that are happening today would have been um, never considered to be something people would do a generation ago. But now it seems mm. like it's one of the first pages out of the playbook. Do you think, Tim Dodd, is this something they would be challenged? Is this something they'd be successful with? I've heard even in Boston now, see, they were also doing this. Uh, and again, folks, I speak with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. They, they were, you know, close to home. We had a governor, Mundo. There were protesters that were going to her home. Way back, I remember some protesters uh, went outside of Governor Kachiri's home. And, you know, last summer, as I said, you know, Governor Mundo, this past fall, some protesters went to the outside the home of Governor McKee, although they weren't that long. Same thing with Mayor Alorza last summer. But with Governor Baker, you know, they would gather pretty regularly in, in front of his home in Swampscott. Uh, would, would this be like across the board or would this is she trying to institute? Because other people are suggesting that's why they should give them special housing. So, you, you know, you're the mayor. You'd live, for instance, the mayor of New York lives in Gracie Mansion. Uh, there's in a lot of states, they do have actually a, a governor's mansion. We don't in, in Rhode Island, but therefore it would almost be better because then protesters, if they were going to do that, at least they're not disturbing a neighborhood. Yeah, it, that's a, it's a tough um, tightrope yeah. to walk. Um, I, I do think there has to be some restrictions on the, the manner in which you can uh, protest in front of a politician's house. Many towns, you know, people don't even realize that have things like noise ordinances that you right. cannot have um, sounds like motorcycles or bands playing or whatever the case might be, fireworks going off after a certain hour. Some communities have decibel levels beyond which you can't um, operate or you could be fined. So I think that there's a reasonable line to be drawn as to what is permissible, you know, um, protest in front of politicians house and what isn't. And I think the nine to nine makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's somewhat reasonable. Um, I don't think it's not denying someone's right to protest. It's just, or their freedom of speech. It's just, you can't do it late, late at night and you can't do it early in the morning. And if you want to do it at two in the morning, just to be a buster and you're going to get fined a hundred bucks, if you're willing to yeah. take that hit, I guess then you won't be deterred. Folks, quick break, a lot more. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro show. If you're ever in an accident, pick up the phone and call West Fountain Auto Body today. 401-272-3340. Were you in an auto accident, someone damaged your vehicle? Folks, it can happen, whether it's people not paying attention, a drunk driver, people texting and driving. If you're ever in an accident, pick up the phone, call West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340. They are located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. Remember, with West Fountain Auto Body, they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. Call them today. If you were in an accident... Drunk driver, someone texting and driving, minor fender banner, even a nearly totaled vehicle. Call West Fountain Auto Body today, 401-272-3340. They'll handle everything for you, the original, the best. And if you're in an accident and a tow truck pulls up, tell them, bring that car over to West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340, 401 West Fountain Auto Body, located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. They'll work for you, not the insurance company. If you're in an accident, call West Fountain today. Get it repaired, 401-272-3340. We're speaking with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, this next story, it's interesting. I, I actually know, uh, I've met uh, Derek uh, Tuna McGuire, 
he's in a motorcycle group and you know it was pretty high profile uh the fact they they felt that they were able to arrest him and nail him based off these wiretaps and there has been a lot of coverage on it but it, it's an interesting story that the Rhode Island Supreme Court is going to decide about this wiretap evidence when I did talk to him because we were I was talking to him we were going to do an interview and he said uh the attorney he had as soon as they looked at the evidence that they had against him and he was locked up they said he said they he looked at him and said Derek you, you get ready you're going home so they they knew right away but this has um apparently made its way all the way to the Rhode Island Supreme Court yes um the Supreme Court is going to well, let me back up. The, the judge in the Superior Court who heard the motion to suppress and granted the motion to suppress, Judge Vogel, who's a very sharp, really, really good judge, uh, looked at the law. And, you know, you can't look at the facts or who the defendants are. You've got to look at the law. And if you look at the law, it was appropriate to suppress all that wiretap material because it was not properly effectuated. Um, the wiretap statute in Rhode Island authorizes the presiding judge of the superior court to uh, sign such wiretap warrants, or in the absence of the presiding judge, the most senior associate. So the presiding judge is Judge Gibney. The senior associate is Judge Krause. For whatever reason, in this case, uh, the presiding judge asked a different judge, Judge um, um, Thunberg, to review the case and to sign the, um, the wiretap warrant. The statute does not allow for that. It only allows for two different individuals, the presiding judge and the senior yeah. associate. Ooh. The law is quite clear. Wow. Um, now, you know, law enforcement might say this is a terrible outcome because we've got so much material against this um, um, organization. Yeah, we could get some real good convictions here. But yeah. if the if the proper procedures were not followed, right. the law is the law. It it yep. can't be outcome determinative. You can't say, well, this is a bad guy, so we're going to forget what the statute says because we want to get him. Or alternatively, well, in a different case, this is a good person, and they shouldn't get jammed up, so we'll, we'll kind of look the other way. Um, the Supreme Court uh, heard oral arguments, and they, um, the justices gave uh, the attorney from the Attorney General's Department a pretty rough time because... Oh. You know, the attorney's got a job to do. He's up there saying that, you know, the motion to suppress, which was granted, should be overturned. He's got to make an argument. But sometimes it's a tough argument if you don't have great law or great facts on your side. And he got um, knocked around pretty well by the Supreme Court. Um, wow. the, well, the Supreme Court, around the Supreme Court, um, it's always fun and challenging to argue there because you're like a goalie and they're all slapping pucks at you and you're, mm. you're taking, you're taking fire from all directions. They're asking good questions. You've got to be on your toes. Um, they have read all the material. They know the law. They ask incisive questions. And when you get the law and the facts on your side, it's a lot of fun. And when you don't, it can be um, uncomfortable. So let's yep. say, <laughs> so totally. I, for, I foresee the Supreme court, sustaining what Judge Vogel did in suppressing the uh, material obtained through these wiretaps. Wow. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, let's stay uh, in the northern part of the state. This is a, an unusual story out of Boroughville. Um, you know, people enjoy Second Amendment, right to bear arms. Um, we, where did this go off track, other than apparently some of his neighbors feel there were always bullets flying all over the property, but they... Um, they found an awful, uh, a tremendous amount of, of, of weapons in this case. And it's, it's certainly not every day that you hear that they go into a home. And apparently this, this guy, and I, I knew of him. I, I don't think I've ever communicated with him. But someone reached out to me when he was, he was running for some office of some kind. It just didn't work out. But um, 
I don't remember the last time, and you and I cover a lot of these. I don't remember the last time that that they went into a home and, and there was just this amount of firepower that someone had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, this guy is a character. Um, yeah. Apparently, he likes shooting guns. Yeah. Um, he had, when his home was finally raided, I believe, well over 200 weapons. <laughs> And one of the cops said, you know, he had more firepower than most police departments have in the state of Rhode Island. Now, he's currently being held um, without bail on federal charges. He had a criminal record, um, but after he was sentenced and had a criminal record where he's not supposed to be in possession of firearms, um, he acquired them by many means. By lying on applications, we don't know from if he was buying guns on the street, if he was lying to get them legitimately from gun stores, but he amassed quite an arsenal. Now, the judge in um, the federal court who was handling the matter saw fit that he should be uh, given bail so long as um, he had a, an ankle monitor and promised to stay away from any gun shops, which I thought was a great condition. Um, The U.S. Attorney's Office objected, saying there's no way to properly track this guy. He thumbs his nose at law enforcement. He's not worried about breaking the rules. It's going to be impossible to track him. And he's likely a guy out there who will once again find a way to acquire and amass another arsenal of weapons. Bail, as we've discussed on many occasions, is not to punish a defendant before trial. It's to, number one, ensure that that person will return to court, and number two, um, deny bail if it can be shown that that person is a danger to the community. Now, I guess one of the arguments is this guy is a danger to the community because he's got this amount of firepower and he's always out in his backyard allegedly uh, shooting his weapons, um, which could be a danger to to his neighbors, certainly. And um, I'm not sure why a condition couldn't be home confinement. You put an ankle bracelet on the guy. You give them home confinement, they can track that. And if they find that he's away from his property, they throw him back in jail. So right now he remains incarcerated. But I I have a suspicion that uh, the judge in the federal court will um, this week um, grant him some bail with some pretty strict conditions. I think it's appropriate to give him bail with some pretty strict conditions. Yeah. unless there's a real good showing that he's a flight risk or a danger. Folks, another quick break. A lot more. Legal expert attorney Tim Dodd right here on the John DePietro Show. Propane Plus. For heating and cooling, call Propane Plus today in Massachusetts, 508-252-3359. In Rhode Island, Propane Plus number 401 885-4209. It's the Johnson family. It's Propane Plus, the leading full-service provider of propane to Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries, but they can service your entire heating, cooling system, and install any propane or natural gas appliances. Locations in East Greenwich and also in Rehoboth. Remember, Propane Plus is energy for everyone. It's affordable, sustainable, equitable, Good for the environment, and also now it's renewable. Online at propaneplus.com, Propane Plus, heating and cooling. In Massachusetts, call the Rehoboth office, 508 252 3359, and in Rhode Island, 401 885 4209. You can depend on Propane Plus. We're speaking with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, what are we to make of, and what's going to happen with this? And I, I know we can't do predictions, but with this Nicholas Alaverdi, he boy, talk about brazen. <laughs> he's actually even now doing interviews with, he was, he's on the Channel 10. He was on with Brian Crandall. He talked to the Journal. This is the guy, folks, that fled Rhode Island. He is now still insisting his name is Arthur Knight. We used to be the afternoon guy on WPRO, King Arthur Knight. Uh, he's now doing interviews. He's got the oxygen tank. He is saying, I look like this chap. Uh, from the states, I am not. But I, I th- again, this is a bizarre. I don't remember the last time you and I discussed someone who 
They're saying you are Nicholas Alado. I am not. Where does this lead? <laughs> the guy is quite a character. Um, he's pretty brazen. I think he enjoys uh, poking the system in the eye, if you will. Um, he's claiming that he's this guy, Arthur, and he's not actually Aliverdian. Um, one of the um, communications, however, that Arthur has made really attacks the prosecutors in um, Utah, um, challenging the prosecutor's credentials, competency, etc., and suggesting that this prosecutor in Utah is attempting to salvage his career by um, nailing um, Aliverdian. Now, if Arthur was really this some poor guy from uh, Scotland who was misidentified as being Nick, he would just say, "I'm not the guy." Right. I don't think he would. I don't think he would go out of his way to figure out what Al- this guy Nick has alleged to have done. Yeah, and go he out seems of to know way. a lot about him. Yes, to learn about the prosecutor has an animus against this prosecutor castigates the prosecutor's credentials. No innocent, misidentified man from Scotland would be attacking this Utah prosecutor in that way. And that, that's, that's all you need to really know. Now, what else can they do? You're right. If this guy has dental records, they can look at his oh. dental records. Yeah. Uh, if he's ever been fingerprinted, they can compare fingerprints. You know, extraditing an individual from a foreign country, um, if that person resists extradition, can be a very long and tedious process. Yeah. But he can he can say he's Arthur, King Arthur, King all, Arthur Knight, all he wants. Maybe but, he'll come back know, and they'll give him afternoons again at WPRO. But forensically, there's <laughs> certainly ways that they can determine if he is in fact um, this. Aliverdian guy, and I'm sure he is, and the cops know it, and everyone knows it. Mm. Um, apparently, he's been having his purported wife make some calls too, and the cops yeah. are convinced that he's using some, you know, voice modifier, so he'll sound like a woman when he makes right. these calls. Um, yep. He's a bad guy. He deserves yeah. to be extradited because, if true, he's done some horrific things. If those mm. things can be proved. He, he, he has the presumption of innocence, but um, if he did the things alleged, they're pretty bad things. And um, he'll get back here eventually. He's I not going to point out to people in, in speaking to law enforcement about this, Tim Dodd, and you would know better. But many times what a lot of people don't realize is when police pull someone over or someone's on the run or they're picked up by police or in a car. Man, listen, I mean, many times they have aliases, fake IDs. I mean, Whitey Bulger. Those guys always had fake IDs. They we wouldn't have someone on the payroll to provide them. It's 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 usually not where someone says, Yes, I am the person you're looking for. That's that's why they, you know, law enforcement, they gather descriptions of uh, you know, distinguishable body marks, tattoos, you know, profile the whole thing, because many times, and I know just locally, when they pick someone up, they they have, you know, a cousin's ID, they have a friend's ID, they take something and they many times keep insisting they're not the person that the police police are looking for. Yeah, you're right. Tattoos, scars, things like this can be very determinative. Um, He's going to be identified as the defendant in these cases. Um, It's not funny because if he did what's alleged, it's bad, but he is a character and he is approaching this whole case much differently than the average um, potential criminal defendant would. Uh, so yeah. from that perspective, he's, he's kind of an entertaining character. He is. But Tim Dodd, where is this going to go with Sarah Palin, a former VP candidate, went up against the New York Times, had it dismissed. Um, sure still sounds like she's not done with this whole thing yet. Well, the trial judge, we spoke about a few couple of weeks ago, The child judge, while the jury's out deliberating, 
announces that he's going to dismiss the case because he doesn't feel that uh, Palin's team proved that the New York Times acted with actual malice. Now, as we've discussed, normally if a judge is inclined to dismiss a case, the judge will hold that card close to the vest, wait for the jury to come back. If the jury comes back and finds no damages, well, the case is over and the judge doesn't have to weigh in. If the jury comes back and awards Sarah Palin millions of dollars, the judge can say, not so fast, I'm taking this verdict away. Mm. I'm the 13th juror, and I don't think that um, her team proved um, actual malice. Now, the judge is now, well, the judge makes his decision known. The jury comes back with a, a verdict in favor of the New York Times, awards no money to Sarah Palin. The legal world is kind of scratching its head saying, Judge, why did you ever do this? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Fast forward a couple of days further, and the jurors, a few of the jurors, acknowledged that they had heard of what this judge was going to do right. while they were deliberating, before they made their decision. So he totally tainted the jury pool. He's now written, I believe, a 68-page memorandum decision uh, trying to defend what he did, saying that no reasonable jury could have found in favor of Sarah Palin. So basically what he did was no harm, no foul, if you will. Well, a couple of things. If the judge thought that Sarah Palin had not proved her case uh, by clear and convincing evidence that the Times acted with actual malice, which is tough to prove. You know, there's a difference between doing it negligently. Gee, we weren't that careful with our, you know, editing processes. Oops, you know, we made a mistake that shouldn't have run. Versus somebody in there saying, we're going to stick it to Sarah Palin. Wait till she reads this. It's going to really destroy her you know, um, political career and her reputation. It's hard to get those words, um, somebody to testify that those words were actually spoken to show the actual malice. But if the judge didn't think she had proved her case, one would think that the New York Times would have been moving for a directed verdict Uh, At the conclusion of Sarah Palin's presentation, judge, dismiss the case now because she hasn't put in the evidence to prove the case. This should never get to the jury. So either the Times didn't think to do it or the judge at that time um, didn't rule in the Times' favor. How could the judge be thinking she didn't prove her case and that no jury could find for her yet have allowed this thing to grind its way through that the jury had the case. The jury had been instructed. Um, It makes no sense the way this judge has behaved. Now, a reviewing court, I'm sure, is going to chastise this judge saying, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Well, the jury was out Hmm. announcing this decision, and the proof is in the fact that the jury heard about it. They knew what you had done before they were done deliberating. And, you know, we can only presume it influenced uh, their deliberations. Right. Now, if a reviewing court says all of this was a screw up, but what the judge got right was that Sarah Palin did not present evidence of clear and convincing evidence of actual malice, then a reviewing court could say the judge screwed it up, but there was still no clear and convincing evidence of actual malice. I think she'll get a new trial. Wow. Well, um, speaking of national trials, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, Tim Dodd, who was found guilty. Is this one a situation this will just continue to kind of wind its, its way through because she's, it is amazing. These people get convicted immediately, and I get it. It's part of it. They try to then get a new trial. Is What are the conditions that she could get a new trial? Well, this case has a very interesting development in that after the fact, one of the jurors um, on this case um, started foolishly giving interviews to the media what was it like in the jury room? What was thought? What did you discuss? 
this juror blurts out during one of these interviews that um, I believe either he or someone in his family was the victim of uh, sexual assault and how his past experiences with uh, sexual assault situations was an important thing in convincing others on the jury that uh, Maxwell should be convicted. Well, that's all fine. The problem is that juror in the jury questionnaire that um, was utilized to try to sift through potential jurors, one of the questions was, have you you or anyone in your family ever been the victim of sexual assault? The answer was no. So that was a lie. So, you know, now we've got the potential specter and high profile cases that people lie their way onto the jury because either they want the publicity, they want to make a point, they want to do some justice on their own. But a a hearing is scheduled for, I believe, this week for that juror to be brought into court and put on the stand and, and grilled by the court, by the prosecutors and by defense counsel as to what the hell was going on here? You, yeah. you lied on your, on your questionnaire and you used the very experience that you denied having to influence other jurors. That, oh. could, uh, that could get her a new trial. Wow. Now, the judge said, I, just because I'm reading media reports as a judge, that jurors, this jurors on TV giving interviews and saying X, Y, and Z, that's not part of the record. That's things we hear about outside of the courtroom and outside of the record of the case. So the judge needs to get that juror on the stand under oath so it becomes part of the record. And then the judge, trial judge can determine whether the jury pool was tainted and whether the jury deliberations were tainted by what this juror did. Remember the George Floyd case? We all remember the George Floyd case. But remember after that trial ended, one of the jurors went around giving um, interviews and essentially admitted that he had kind of finagled his way on the jury because he wanted to make a political point. That's right. So that's an example. Now, should um, Officer Chauvin have been convicted? Certainly he should have been convicted. Right. But you had this guy on the jury who was sort of like a, a sleeper agent, if you will, um, who was on there with an agenda that he hid from both um, the prosecution and defense counsel. And oh. I think you get the same thing here with the Ghislaine Maxwell situation. So yep. that alone could get her a new trial. Folks, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Attorney Tim Dodd, as I had announced in the program, I will be uh, the big story right now is overseas. We're going to be at the Ukraine border. We're going to take it day by day. Listeners, oh, obviously, this is a very popular segment that we do. We've been doing it. Um, I, I, am, I feel we have the technology. We can keep doing it. We're going to kind of figure our way through. But either way, um, we'll definitely be talking to Attorney Tim Dodd. Uh, again, very soon. Could be next week, could be the week after, but in the near future. So, Tim, as always, great job. And the next time uh, we speak, I will be in Eastern Europe. Well, let's do it as soon as possible. And in the interim, be safe. You're going to have some amazing experiences over there, some great things to report. Very interesting, but just be safe. Take care. Tim Dodd, thank you. We'll talk to you again. All right, bye-bye. ...into Brood Awakenings and discovered the Brood difference Two locations in Johnston, also in Cranston, Pontiac Avenue, and then also Bald Hill Road in Warwick. Brood Awakenings, they're local, fresh ingredients, cozy environment, great comfortable chairs, delicious breakfast sandwiches, lunch, great drinks and coffee, and plenty of room to spread out and meet people. I'll see you, and you'll discover the Brood difference at Brood Awakenings. You're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. Check out the website, dipietro.com. We have original, unique, exclusive stories, videos, content, all our links to social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. It's all right there, and that's also the best way to reach me. Log on at the website, dot com. 
Well, health continues to be an important part of our daily lives. That's why you need to stop in and see the queen of health. It's Maria. It's my health because it's your health. But it's my health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Look for her on Facebook. You can also call her at 401-305-3585. You know where she is, right in that very majestic old white church diagonally across from Davidport Restaurant. It's my health. And inside, pop in. You'll see vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies who understand quality, integrity, local products like acai, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. It's my health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Wait till you see the selection. Over 250 bulk herbs, teas, spices purchased by the ounce plus boxed herbs and teas plus hemp and CBD products. Stop in natural skincare products, hair care products. It's my health, because it's your health. Stop it and see Marie, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You're listening to The John DePietro Show on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. Now, while you're there, uh, there's a lot of exclusive stories. Folks, we cover stories the rest of the media ignores. It's real news. Whether it's video that we're out at a crime or a protest or various things that are happening, plus other exclusive stories that we break, log on at the website. That's also the best way to reach me, by the way. If you'd like to get in touch with me, just scroll down a little bit. You'll see a, a button that says Contact John. You can also support the program. You you can also get some great merchandise in the shop right there at dipetro.com. And it's all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook, so you can watch Facebook Live or also Twitter or YouTube or Instagram. So take a minute. And then also we have some great sponsors there as well. It is a happening. Check it each day. It's DePetro.com. The John DePetro Show brought to you by Realtor Pat Elston. Call Pat today, 401-474-5253. There's a link right directly to her on the website, DePetro.com. Caldwell Banker Realty based in Cumberland, 20 years experience, licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Pat services all of Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Contact Pat Elston today, 401-474-5253, and you can find her right on the website, dipetro.com. Brothers Disposal. Call Brothers Disposal today. Get a purple dumpster for your driveway. How do you know it's Brothers Disposal? Because it's a purple dumpster. Look for them on Facebook and give them a call for an estimate, 401-688-0517. Get a dumpster in your driveway. Maybe you're cleaning out your basement, your garage, unwanted belongings. Maybe you just have some things in boxes that you've never taken out. Clean it out with Brothers Disposal. They're also now offering weekly trash collection services. Call Brother Roland today at Brothers Disposal, 401 401- 688-0517. Whether it's a small household construction project or you just need a dumpster to get rid of some unwanted belongings, call Brothers Disposal today. Come on, brother. Call Brothers Disposal, 401-688-0517. Look for them on Facebook, Brothers Disposal. Get a dumpster in your driveway, 401-688-0517.